energy. So this guy in the fantasy baseball chat is just ripping me. He's calling me names for how I handled my team. Buddy, you had 20 weeks for your own team to play better. Don't be mad at me. The passion. Mac Jones is fighting not just for his Patriots job, but he very well may be fighting for his NFL future. The opinions on all your favorite teams. For the Red Sox, it can't always be about next year. It can't always be about down the road. Where's the team that battles for now? This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show, a very happy Thursday here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We are up until 7 o'clock. We will take you to Jazz with George Thomas. No baseball again tonight. World Series Game 1 begins tomorrow. we got a lot to get to. Buster Olney of ESPN is going to stop by a little after 6 o'clock today. Buster with us maybe at about 6.10. we got to give a massive shout-out to one of our listeners. We'll do that in about 15 minutes. we got conversations about the Patriots and something weird between Mac Jones and Dan Orlovsky. I'll fill in the gaps for you. On that, Celtics win the opener last night. There's a ton to get to. I am here. Danny's here. You're here on the text line, 802-585-3026. Up until 7 o'clock. Danny, let go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Six and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Rouse's Point, New York. They're online at sixandstuff.com, also at Swanton Lumber. All right, Celtics win the opener last night. Congratulations to you, Danny. Congratulations to all the Seas fans, myself included, but I'm not as big a Seas fan as you are. They get the victory. They're 1-0. They're on their way to a championship season, I hope. 108-104 to was the victory over the New York Knicks. I thought the Celtics came out and played very well early in this one in the first quarter. They were up 12 at the end of the first quarter. They were not as good in the second quarter. I didn't think they were as good in the third quarter, but when you go back and rewatch the highlights and look at the box score, they actually did win the third quarter by four over the Knicks. The fourth quarter, they got outscored. So it was a back-and-forth game. They were able to win. I think the, the biggest keys were their ability to get up 12 at the end of the first and then their ability to close. They were down seven in this game with six minutes to play or whatever, 100 to 93, came back, held the Knicks only to four points from that point forward. It was, uh, you know, it was 101 to 101 with a minute and a half. Porzingis hits the big three. There's a lot of things I want to say about this game, right? There's takeaways good. There's takeaways bad. Danny, I got to tell you, Having you on this show and knowing that the Celtics are going to be a bigger part of our daily conversation has caused me to watch them already through one game in a slightly different way, right? Usually, I will watch regular season basketball for enjoyment purposes, and I will really start to analyze what I'm watching towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. I was very keenly aware yesterday of what I was watching, how I was watching it, and I was watching it in a critical eye. And i got to tell you, I don't think it was that great a game to watch yesterday. I don't know if you feel different. I'm glad the Celtics won. And, and frankly, I don't know what I was looking for, right? Like, I don't want to see the Celtics play 130 to 127 games. But I also thought what we saw yesterday 
was kind of ugly. I don't think it was all that aesthetically pleasing. And I think what I was looking for going in, I think what my expectation was going in, is that everything the Celtics did offensively was going to be pretty. And maybe that's something that I shouldn't be thinking of. Maybe this early in the season I shouldn't be putting that label of perfection on them. But my overall perception of yesterday's game was, it was generally ugly, and maybe that's because they were playing the Knicks, and the Knicks have two seven-footers, and Julius Randle is a guy who can play bully ball, and Tibbs is a guy who likes to get games be gritty, and maybe when they play someone else, it will look prettier. But I have this expectation that when you have great basketball teams with great talent, that the game is going to look like a work of art. And maybe I've been spoiled by watching the Golden State Warriors for so long. Maybe I've been spoiled by watching the Phoenix Suns with Durant and Booker and when Chris Paul was there. The game just looks pretty. The Celtics yesterday felt like a bull in a china shop. But again, they won, and you have to be able to win a lot of different games. So I don't want to make overarching statements here based on one game. But I had an expectation yesterday going in, I think, that the ball was going to flow. There was going to be a crispness to their passing. It was going to be easy to get shots. They were going to be great from three. And I don't know that I expected them to blow out the Knicks, but I expected offense to be easier to come by than it was. And I think that's probably unfair, especially for game one, but that was my expectation. And my overarching takeaway was that, yes, even though they won, It wasn't as pretty as I wanted it to be, and it wasn't as pretty as I expected it to be. Do you think I'm crazy? No, you're not wrong. There was The pace was good in the beginning, and then they slowed it down. And like you said, they didn't shoot well either. Uh, The assists, as a team total, were pretty down. Good defense, but um, overall, yeah, a lot of shots not made. That that makes the game look much worse. I mean, I watched... And, and I'm, I'm a little biased on this, right? Like, I watched the Sacramento Kings. I've told this story before. My brother was teammates with Kevin Herter in high school. Kevin Herter's a starting guard for the Sacramento Kings. My brother played with him for three years. His family actually lives right down the street from my parents' house. Like, we're talking, like, you can walk there in four minutes. So, like, I know Kevin Herter at least well enough to root for the Kings, and my brother and him are pretty tight growing up. So I have... I have a second team that I watch a lot of games of in the NBA. And the Kings are a different team, right? They don't play a lot of defense. They scored 130 last night, but they gave up like 117 or 113 or whatever against Utah. But I watch them play a lot. And you juxtapose the style that the Kings play with what the Celtics looked like yesterday, and it's night and day. Watching the Kings, they play a track meet, and they get up and down, and the ball is just zooming around, and it's shot after shot. It's like, how many shots can we get up in the span of a 48-minute game? And De'Aaron Fox just breaks out, and they go, and whoever gets the ball brings the ball up the court. It's It's just a constant run, 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 run. And again, there's drawbacks to playing that way, right? They gave up 113 points to an average Utah team. There are going to be plenty of games where they give up 125. I don't want to... I don't want the Celtics to necessarily play that way, but I watched the Kings immediately after, and I thought, wow, that was a fun game to watch. The Celtics game was kind of a slog, and there's 81 left. There will be nights that are really pretty. There will be nights that are ugly. At the end of the day, as long as they win, I'm glad, right? I want the Celtics to win. I want them to win the title. I think they have the ability to win the title. But I had an expectation that things would look cleaner and things would look crisper than they did. 
Danny, there were a lot of good things that happened, right? There were some things that, that left something to be desired, but there were a lot of good things that happened. I think to me, clearly, the number one good thing that happened was Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, I think if you're coming out of that game not impressed by Porzingis, then you're doing it wrong. He did everything that you could want somebody to do in a game and then some. He scored 30 points. Danny, you said what? Most points ever by a Celtic in their debut? Yep, that's what the broadcast was saying. So 30 points for Porzingis. He was the second leading scorer on the team. And he did it every which way possible. He was 5 of 9 from 3. That's above 50%. He was 8 of 15 from the floor overall. That's above 50%. We talked about yesterday about wanting to see balance. Well, he was, you know, he was as many, you know, almost as many twos as threes. He shot... I saw him on the pick and roll. We saw him on the alley oop in the first in the first quarter. We saw him hit the big three late to take it to 104 to 101. He got to the line where he was nine of ten. How many times did we see the Celtics last year settle for jump shots and not get to the line? Well, they get there 26 times yesterday, and Porzingis gets there 10. He's the leading free throw shooter on the team yesterday. That's outstanding. So he did everything you could want to do. And, oh, by the way, he had four blocks defensively. And when he wasn't blocking a shot, Danny, he was altering shots. I mean, how many times did somebody get to the lane and have to kick when they didn't want to? How many times did somebody get to the lane and, no, Porzingis didn't block the shot, but they had to alter their shot, and it became uncomfortable, and it became a miss, and a rebound the other way for the Celtics. So four blocks. He only had one turnover. He had 30 points. He was plus 13. The team was was minus two when Porzingis wasn't on the floor. So clearly he was the driving force behind yesterday's victory. He did everything you could have wanted to do well. He did well yesterday. And, I, I mean, I don't know how you come away from that game not thinking that this guy is going to make a huge difference for this team. Yes, there will be days where it's Jalen Brown's day to go off or Drew Holiday's day to go off or, you know, Porzingis will have a game where he scores nine points this year. But the skill set and versatility that he has, we saw him hit from four and five feet behind the line. We saw him hit shots late in the game. We saw him hit shots early in the game. We saw him get to the bucket. He did everything you could want yesterday, except he had zero assists. That was a negative, right? Part of kind of the choppiness of the game, I talk about the ball not flowing well enough. Well, Porzingis having zero assists, that's going to have to change. I don't need him to have 10 a game, but he's got to be somewhere in the four to five range, I would think. And you know what's interesting to me too, Danny? And this is something that it's a fine balance, but it's a very real thing that we should be observing here. Porzingis is not weak. He's not soft. I don't mean this in that way. But he's so thin that whenever he gets contacted, it looks bad, right? Like it looks like he's been hit. And he's going to be able to use that to his advantage in terms of being able to get to the line. Now, I also am tall and thin. I obviously am not very strong. But my coach used to tell me, if you go to the rim and you get hit, everyone's going to notice it, right? Like, you're thin. So if you get hit, you're going to go down. You're going to flail. It's like it's going to be very apparent that you got hit. We see guys like Shaq, like Cam Newton. They're so big that when they get contacted, it doesn't really look that egregious. I mean, how many times yesterday? Did I, I saw Porzingis just dribbling yesterday and get contacted and get foul calls. There was the one play who I can't remember who was guarding him, but I think it was in the first quarter where 
he was trying to back somebody down, couldn't do it because he just wasn't strong enough to do it. Then he just faded away, fired a shot that was nowhere near the rim, but he's he gets touched and everything gets impacted, you know, and he goes askew. And that's going to be to their benefit this year. He gets to the line ten times yesterday. That's a huge deal. Again, how many times last year did we see this Celtics team not get to the line, settle for the jump shots? Porzingis, he can do that, but he got to the line ten times. Danny, I, I think you talk about 30 points, you talk about eight rebounds. Porzingis was the story of the game as far as I'm concerned, both offensively and defensively. A big putback at the end of the third quarter to put yeah. him up, back up uh, ten or something. I can't remember, but just important, important plays he was making. The other positive overall, I do think, is the defense, right? Like, we could talk about how the game wasn't that pretty. Well, part of the reason the game wasn't that pretty is because it was mucked up, and it was mucked up in a way that also was created by the Celtics, right? To allow an NBA team, especially an NBA team that's at home, that went to the playoffs last year, that has guys that can really score, right? We don't have to think the Knicks have superstars, but Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, can score, and life was made difficult for them yesterday. The Celtics are, are responsible for that. Okay, I saw. I mean, I went. I watched the whole game, but I went back and watched the expanded highlights again just to make sure I saw everything. And there's multiple possessions where the Celtics are really making an effort to close out, not giving up easy shots, not giving up easy shots from three. There's Porzingis altering shots. There's Holiday bodying up Julius Randle and taking away. One of the strengths of the Knicks, especially on the interior, for a team that has said they want to refocus on defense this year and recalibrate themselves defensively, I thought yesterday was a really good step in the right direction. To only allow 104 points in an NBA game at, in this juncture of basketball is pretty darn good. I mean, I'll go through and I look at the NBA scores from yesterday, and nearly every team in the NBA played yesterday. Not every team, but nearly every team. And I can only count. Let's look. Let's look at it. Okay, Houston is one. Minnesota and Toronto two three. Pistons Heat four five. And that's it. Only five teams in the NBA yesterday scored fewer than 104 points. So for the for the Celtics to only allow 104, that's pretty good. So it shows to me that Julius that uh, Joe Mazzulla has gotten guys to buy into it. Showed me that the team has bought into it. And I think that is impressive for a team that wasn't always impressive last year defensively. Um, elsewhere, kind of some other takeaways here, some other positives from this. Um, because of Porzingis, because let me back, let me backtrack. Jason Tatum had a very quiet 34. I thought Danny. I don't know if it felt that way to you. He made everything look easy. But third, but see, he had 34. And I didn't even feel like I saw him shoot enough to get 34. And that, to me, is the mark of a guy who who is doing exactly what you said, right? He makes it look easy, but he's being efficient, right? I can tell when someone has jacked up enough points to score 34 or 40. You can tell when they're a volume scorer. That wasn't Tatum yesterday. 13 of 22. That's pretty efficient. 13 of 22. Also got to the line. He had 11 rebounds, which is outstanding. So just a quiet 34. It wasn't forced. He was able to be the leading scorer in a way that honestly, when I look, when I went back and looked it up everything again today, I was surprised to see that Tatum was the leading scorer. It felt like the Porzingis game to me, but you look at it and Tatum leads the way with 34, 11 rebounds, also had four assists. Couple of things though stood out to me on the negative, Danny. 
And I think this game as a whole kind of symbolized everything we thought about this team all wrapped up in one. The positive was that Tatum's a superstar. He showed that. A positive is that Porzingis is there. They have more depth scoring. They have more options, right? We knew Porzingis was going to be a big part of this. A positive was the defense, right? We thought all of those things could happen. On the negative side of things, we said our biggest concern for this team was depth, and that showed yesterday. It's opening night. The Celtics played every one of their starters 32 minutes or more. Porzingis did not sit in the entirety of the first quarter. Doc Rivers on the national broadcast on ESPN said, I don't think I've ever seen him do that before. That is not sustainable. I'm not really a load management guy. I believe if you're healthy, you should play. I want you to be healthy. I want you to play. But it's opening night. We've got 81 of these things left, and we have to see every starter for 32 minutes or more. We talked about where the bench scoring would come from. There wasn't really any, okay? You had 12 bench points yesterday. In an NBA game where 108 points were scored, you only had 12 off the bench. Eight seven from, Hor- from Horford. Eight from Horford and four from Pritchard. That was your, you know, that was your bench scoring. You only played nine guys. And really, Horford's the only bench guy that really truly played substantial minutes. Hauser, 14 minutes, zero points. Cornette, eight minutes, zero points, only one shot attempt. Pritchard, the guy we heard about all offseason, all preseason, 11 minutes, one for four from the floor, 0 for three from three, only four points total, minus eight there. Every bench guy was in the minuses except for Hauser on the plus minus. You've got to find answers on the bench. These guys can't do what they did yesterday every single night, right? You are going to need to sit a guy. A guy is going to get injured. A guy is going to get in foul trouble. You have to have answers off the bench, and the Celtics really didn't have that yesterday. And that was something that concerned us. I mean, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six different did not play yesterday. I don't know that I need to see 14 guys play, but in the early part of the season when you're trying to ease guys in and trying to figure things out and trying to set up rotations, I kind of thought we'd see some mixing and matching. We really didn't have that. Maybe we will as we move forward here in the first three weeks of the season. But, Danny, depth was one of our biggest concerns, and I don't feel any better about it than I did yesterday. Yeah, I'd like to see them have, like, a top 12, preferably. They, they played what, like? They played nine guys total. Yeah, not good enough. They played nine guys total. and There'll be well, games I, where Cornette's the DMP, and it'll be a smaller guy that gets those minutes. But they need to spread out the minutes a little bit better than that. And we're spoiled based on last year, right? Malcolm Brogdon was the sixth man of the year. Say what you want about him in the playoffs. He got hurt, and he did he want to be here in this season or whatever. I know it ended badly with Brogdon. He was the sixth man of the year. I'm used to having a bench guy that can do the job, if not three or four bench guys that can do the job. And the Celtics didn't have that yesterday. Our other concern was, Danny, see if you can find the Keith Smith uh, cut from a couple weeks ago we had about rebounding. I'll give you a minute to find it here. If you can't, no big deal. But we talked about the front court being an issue, rebounding being an issue. That was the case yesterday, too. I look at the rebounding numbers, and the Knicks are a good rebounding team. The Celtics got out-rebounded for the game. They also allowed the Knicks 17 offensive rebounds. The Celtics only got seven offensive rebounds. So the Knicks had were plus 10 in offensive rebounds. They were So that's 10 
extra potential shots that you could get. That's 20 or 30 extra points that the Knicks could have gotten. That's multiple extra fouls that could have been acquired, picked up by the Celtics. You've got to be able to box out and corral the rebound. And if they could corral the rebounds easier, maybe they get out and transition and the game looks fun, free, and easy like I wanted it to look. But when you're getting out offensive rebounded by 10, that is a problem. Danny, do we have the Keith Smith cut? We do. Okay, go ahead and play it. This was I asked Keith Smith of uh, Spot Track a couple weeks ago his biggest concern about the Celtics. Rebounding is where he went. Last year, they were the best uh, defensive rebounding team in the league by the end of the season. And I know some people might be like, wait, what? No, that can't be. But they, they were. Now, this year, that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. And part of what put them at the best was, despite not having the one kind of singular dominant rebounder, you had guys like Smart and Grant Williams who did the dirty work of, They'd check out, they'd box out, they'd make sure, you know, that guys were freed up to go after the glass. And they're going to have to do a little bit more of that as a team. Yeah, they didn't, they did not do that yesterday, right? To allow 10 different or 10 more offensive rebounds to me is a problem. Other things, Danny, kind of small. Well, they're, I think they're big, but they're other small footnotes in this game. 18 assists on 37 buckets. I don't know that that's awful, but again, the ball was kind of, it wasn't flowing like I wanted. I'd like to see at least 50% of your buckets getting scored off an assist. I thought Jalen Brown at times yesterday looked lost. And maybe this is part of the whole sacrificing thing, that he's okay only having 11 points because it was Porzingis' night. I don't know. But I do think Jalen Brown looked passive. Again, the, the dribbling with his left hand was an issue. He lost the ball a handful of times. Didn't necessarily turn it over all the time, but kind of took him out of the flow of what he was trying to do. He was only 4 of 11 from the floor. He was 0 of 4 from 3. He only took four three free throws. Again, it can be other guys' nights. Jalen Brown doesn't need to score 30 every night. But I just felt like, you need kind of a big three on any given night. And last night the Celtics had a big two, and Jalen Brown wasn't in that big two. Um, but Five assists, six rebounds, though. So he did contribute a little bit in other ways. That is good. You are right about that. But, you know, when you get paid $300 million, I am expecting it to look a little easier offensively. Agreed. Maybe the, yep. Foul trouble, too. But, yeah, that's on him as well. Yeah, maybe that's unfair of me. I don't want to be that guy who just says, oh, look at your contract. You have to do this. But look at your contract. Like, You've got to be able to, you know, I expect you to. Jalen would agree with you, too. You know, and it's interesting, Dan. I was listening to Colin Cowherd earlier today on my way in, and he was talking about Porzingis. He was talking about the Celtics. And I hadn't really thought too hard about this. He thinks the Celtics are the East Coast Nuggets. And I'd like to be the East Coast Nuggets because the Nuggets very well might be the number one seed in the the Western Conference. They are the defending defending, uh, NBA champions. And they do have a lot of similar elements, do they not? Right? Like, I think about the Nuggets, and this was the point Colin was making. They have a big four where on any given night, any of the four can beat you. The Celtics theoretically have that too, right? They have their star, Jokic and Tatum. They have their secondary player, Brown and Jamal Murray. And then they have a third guy, whether it's, you know, Caldwell Pope for Denver and Porzingis or Aaron Gordon and Porzingis or Aaron Gordon and Drew Holiday. There's four guys there at any time that can take over a quarter, can take over a half, can take over a game. 
and there's just that kind of balance and that kind of depth, at least in your top-scoring unit, at least in your starting unit, that is really beneficial. Um, so, yes, I think that's a valid comparison, and it's something I obviously hope to see play out that way, given how good the Nuggets are and how good the Nuggets were. But um, Nuggets run a lot more offense through Jokic, though. They do run a lot more offense through Jokic. I think that's fair. And As a lead decision-maker, that's not something Porzingis is probably going to be. No, and it's interesting, too, you say that, because it's part of the reason why I think I think the Nuggets offense looks pretty as opposed to choppy. Like, like you know where the ball is going, right? And you know where it's being played off of. Jokic gets the ball at the high post, and then he just goes to work and makes his decision. And from that point, it's easy basketball. If it's one-on-one, Jokic goes to the hoop, looks good. If he gets doubled, he kicks out to an open shooter. If he gets doubled, kicks out to an open shooter, and now that guy gets closed out hard on, well, then they just whip it around to someone else, and then now you've got a defense that's scrambling, and the offense just looks good. But that's why he's the MVP. <laughs> that is why he's a two-time MVP. You're right. The Celtics don't necessarily have that. The Celtics have – it's hard for me to say it's isolation ball. It, it is because it's not – but I think isolation ball, I think of Trey Young. The Celtics don't have that, right? The ball doesn't just Luka. stick in somebody's hands. But – I watch the Celtics, you bring it up slow, you let somebody have the ball for five or six seconds, now the shot clock's at 16, and you know now you're whipping one pass, and that guy's got it for four or five seconds, and then somebody just goes to work with six seconds on the shot clock. The ball does not flow like it does for other teams. Again, opening night, I don't want to be too reactionary to it. They will get better. They will have more team chemistry. They will have more nights where they score better. They will have nights where there's three guys over 20-plus. And I think at the end of the year, the Celtics are going to be a team that can win 55-60 games. Right? I don't know if they will. Should be 60. They had 57, 55 last year. I think the over-under I saw, I think, is 54-and-a-half this year. I'll take the over. Yeah, well, I hope you're right, and I think that they have a good chance. If they're healthy, right? Yes, if they're healthy. That's always the caveat. But it's just a, you know, it was a a gritty opening night win. Now they're going to play Miami, a team I think they're better than. Then they're going to continue on and take on, uh, they got Indiana in the first four games. I'm trying to think of who's who's coming up, uh, what the order is. Oh, Washington's first, and then Indiana, and then Brooklyn. I mean, they're certainly very winnable games here in the early going. I was reading uh, our guy Adam over at Celtics blog, our British Celtics expert. He also pointed out, and I hadn't realized this when I was watching it in real time, 42 points in the paint for the Celtics yesterday. And that's really good because you look at it, New York has two seven-footers, right? Like Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, there's two seven-footers there. So if you're able to, and Randall, and Randall is a tough guy to get in on given how thick he is. If you get 42 points in the paint on a team with two seven-footers, what are you going to be able to do on a team that's a lot smaller? We'll have to see. We'll see if the Celtics can take advantage of that. But yesterday did kind of pretend well for that. Uh, all right. Texter's in, 802-585-3026. Kyle over in South Burlington's complaining about the offense since it's all on Missoula. I, I mean, I don't know about that, right? Like, the players make things in the NBA. I, I don't know that this is on Missoula. We'll have to just see, right? They're, they are going to get – more chemistry as we go. They are going to get more chemistry as we go. They are going to get better as we go. I expect there will be days where, you know, uh, Danny, you were watching the NBC Sports Boston broadcast, I know, but I was watching the uh, national broadcast, and they were really praising Drew Holiday. Doc Rivers was saying, Holiday doesn't shoot a lot, but he always shoots the right shot. 
I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, an interesting way of thinking about it. And I also have to remember that Holiday scored 18 points a game last year. He did that in Milwaukee when Chris Middleton was hurt, right? So he had to become the number two last year in Milwaukee. He doesn't have to be the number two here. Maybe we will see him more in the 9 to 12 points a game stat you know, stats this year. I don't know that we'll see him in 15-16 because I had kind of forgotten about how Middleton was out a lot of the year last year. He's suited, though, to be a playmaker. And if he's at 9 to 10 and he's a fourth scorer on the team, I think that's perfectly fine. But I kind of had my mind on him getting 15-16 a game. Looks like it's probably going to be a little less than that as long as everybody stays healthy. I think we just went through 30 minutes with no commercial break here uh, on the Celtics. So we got to step aside. we got to get to our CBS News update. we got to get some words in from some sponsors as well. I also have to admit an egregious mistake on my behalf. And I have to give a huge shout-out to one of our listeners, a huge, massive shout-out to one of our listeners. I'll tell you both of those things, and we'll get to Buster Olney of ESPN. He's going to be with us on the other side of the CBS News update. Buster on Craig Breslow. Celtics or uh, Red Sox make their hire. Their new president of baseball operations, the former left-handed pitcher Craig Breslow. What do we think of it? What are the concerns by it? What do we need to know? Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us next after CBS News. And, again, a huge shout-out to one of our listeners. You know who you are. We're giving you your praise anyways on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Buster Olney of ESPN going to stop by in about five minutes, talk Red Sox. Craig Breslow hired as the president of baseball operations. We'll talk with Buster about some of the strengths of that hire, some of the questions about that hire as well. I can't wait to see what Buster has to say. Uh, I want to give a huge shout-out to one of our listeners, one of our longest-standing listeners, one of our most active texters. That's our guy, Peter in Williston, and I hope Peter is listening right now. Peter sent a cake, like a high-quality cake, to the station today to celebrate the Brady Farkas Show's third birthday. Shout-out to Peter, the real MVP. Peter, I thank you. Danny thanks you. Corm thanks you. Kaya thanks you. Everybody thanks you. We appreciate that so much. We certainly don't need any gifts. We do this show because we selfishly love to do it. We also do it for you so that you have something else to listen to, right? you got a lot of choices of things to listen to. We're honored and happy to be one of those many choices that you have, and we're always happy when you choose us. But, Peter, man, it was awesome. And really appreciate it for you to uh, to recognize us, to recognize our show, to recognize the work that we do on our show's third birthday. It was actually interesting because we got the package, and at first it did like it didn't have a return address on it, so we didn't know what it was at first. We opened it up, and, and Corm was down there, and Danny was down there, and we opened it up, and we saw that it was a cake, right? It said that it was some kind of pastry. Like, it said that it was. It came delivered in dry ice. So, like, we knew it was food, and then it said it was a pastry or some kind of pastry. So then we opened it up, and it's very clearly cake, a very clearly high-quality cake. And I thought it was a gift for my birthday. Like, my birthday was on Tuesday, so I thought somebody had sent a gift for my birthday. And I, we weren't sure who it was, right? We're like, looking around, couldn't see the return address. It wasn't on the package because the package was dry ice. We're like, what is going on here? And I'm like, 
well, one of our listeners probably just heard it was my birthday and sent it. I'm like, man, that's awesome. And then we open it up further, and there's a little card in there, and it says, happy three-year or happy third birthday to the Brady Farkas Show from Peter and Williston. And, man, Peter, that, that made our day because, number one, no one's ever given us a cake before. Number two, that's incredibly thoughtful. And number three, it just shows that you really care as well. So Texter says, well-deserved. We love you, man. Well, thank you very much. We love you as well. So, And it's it's interesting that that came today because you know what, Danny? Today is our exact third birthday of the Brady Farkas show. I'll be honest with you. I thought it was yesterday. We missed I, it? I Well, I talked about on Tuesday on my birthday we went through and we read the first ever, like, synopsis of the first ever Brady Farkas Show podcast, and I thought that that was the next day. I thought that was October 25th, the day after my birthday. No, no, no. It turns out today is the three-year anniversary of our birthday. I don't know how I messed that up, but when I was through on Facebook today, which, God, I wish I could stop using, but I just can't for work purposes, but I really wish that I could. Um, I really wish that I could. I saw, like, a bunch of memories, like, today is the day, right? Like, three years ago, I had written, like, today's the day. The new Brady Farkas show starts tonight. Like, we're on DEV. Here's when we're on, and here's who our guest is. And I went back, and I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, I guess October 26th was our first show. And the reason – so here's what I thought. So I remember that our first show was the Monday after the Patriots got beat by the 49ers, right? Cam got benched. Stidham came in. Patriots got absolutely killed. So that was our the Monday after that was our first show. I was positive that that Sunday of the game was my birthday. Like I was positive that my birthday, October 24th, was a Sunday, and that I was watching Patriots football on my birthday. And then the next day was Monday, October 25th. Turns out that was not the case, right? Turns out that was not the case. My birthday was clearly on Saturday. The 25th was clearly Sunday. The 26th was clearly Monday. And there you go. But the show began three years ago today. And I think we've grown a lot. I think we've come a long way. We've added the text line. We've had Danny. We've had intern Jack who was here. We had intern Colin for a while. We've had people come and go. The guest list has changed. We've added Buster. We've added TC. We've had Freddie from the start. I want to give a huge shout-out to Freddie Coleman, who's been with us every Wednesday that we were available for three years. Every single Wednesday, he's never missed one for his thing, right? There have been days where I couldn't do it or we weren't on the air because of a Red Sox game or whatever, but Freddie has always been available. Bob Sosi, our friend, has been with us. We've added Phil Perry. Like, the show, to me, has grown so much, and uh, I am pumped for everybody who has been with us for the entirety of these three years. And uh, Peter and Wilson, shout out to you. Only one way to celebrate this. Happy birthday! (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's our guy Arnie there. Arnie's been on the show a handful of times as well, so uh, good stuff. Thank you very much to Peter and Williston. Texer says, was the cake for Kaya, it was her birthday yesterday? Uh, no, it was addressed to the Brady Farkas show once we found the card, and it came from Peter and Williston. Is she allowed is. to have a piece, though? Everybody can have a piece. I, I can't eat Happy all this birthday, cake. Kaya. I can't eat all this cake. Danny and I can't eat all this cake, so I think what we need to do is we need to have uh, – Maybe we take some of the cake over to the crew at the Legion. 
tonight, right? Thursday night dinner over at the Legion. Everybody's hanging out there right now. Maybe we bring it over there and uh, share some of the cake with them, with our guy Steve and our guy uh, Rick over there, all the friends of the show who were hanging out at the Legion here in Waterbury. Text Glenn says, what kind of cake was it? Uh, delicious cake. Trust me, it was extremely decadent, Danny, extremely decadent, ornate white frosting. I didn't eat any of it yet. And I know you didn't either because it came in dry ice. We had to put it in the fridge and we, we were letting it, uh, you know, get out of the packaging for a bit, but it will get eaten. Don't trust me. It will get eaten and it will get eaten in short order. That is for sure. I talk about our three year birthday and all the ways we've grown. One of those ways is by bringing on Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider in Vermont native. Well, Buster is on the phone line with us now. Yes, we do have him. Yes. Uh, Buster, thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Brady, how are you doing? I am doing well as well, but we're in some kind of bizarro world here. It was 70 degrees-ish today here in New England. Did you tell me it's <laughs> zero where you are today? In Montana, yeah. I, I covered the uh, the American League Championship Series, and when I got back from uh, Houston, uh, the temperature plummeted uh, as I arrived, and now we've got snow falling and it's wind chill factor this morning below zero, and uh, it, it is uh, it is something. Winter hit us. The beginning of winter hit us hard this year in Montana. Oh my goodness! I can't even imagine. Here we are, seventy-ish here in New England. Wow. Um, let's talk about the hot stove, which is also raising uh, raging here in New England. Greg Breslow hired as the Red Sox president of baseball operations. Looks like he is going to have a number two, and he'll get to pick. Who that is? Your initial reaction to the Craig Breslow hiring for the Red Sox is what? Is positive, uh, but also um, while recognizing reality that they weren't able to lure any of their top candidates, maybe because of the perception that their organization's a little wacky, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that they're hard to please. You know, moving on from Theo Epstein, uh, uh, moving on from uh, Ben Charrington, from Dave Dombrowski, from to Heim Bloom. It never feels like that there's necessarily a, a, a plan that's going to last when it comes to owner John Henry. But at least in this case, they get someone who's from the area, uh, you know, grew up there, uh, lived there. And as you and I have talked about many times, there was always a question of whether or not I'm Bloom totally understood the Boston market and the sense of urgency that you have to work with. Uh, I like the fact that you know he's been throughout his career someone who's been known as being really collaborative his expertise is in pitching you know he was a pitcher he's been working for other organizations uh you know to foster great pitching and the red sox need that but uh, i mean let's not pretend that uh you know they haven't again hired a first timer and uh, know that that's going to come with some risk. You know, it's interesting you say that because that's kind of where I wanted to go next. So we had Tom Karen of Nesson on yesterday, and he said he likes to hire, but he also acknowledges what you said, that he's a first-time guy. And he says, I would like for the number two to be someone who has true front office experience who can kind of help guide him through some stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, that's probably fair and that's probably true, but I kind of like my guy who's hired to do a high-profile job to just be able to do the job and not need his hand held uh, you know, so much at the beginning. Is that a fair criticism for me or unfounded? Um, it, it's possible as long as he works well with that person that it could be fine. You know, a lot of front offices, they the way they're structured now, you know, they have uh, – and I'll just give you an example. Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager – you know, he's done the trades. He, he's an expert in that. 
But Gene Afterman, who is his number two, is basically the compliance person. She is a lawyer by training. She knows all the rules. The, she puts the Yankees in a good place when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, knowing all the waiver rules, knowing about, you know, outrighting players, that sort of thing. And, and maybe that's the sort of person that uh, Craig Breslow needs. Uh, you know, he's going to know the baseball. He's going to know the talent. Maybe he needs voice uh, a voice of someone who's going to be able to, you know, tell him about, you know, the, the rules and, and uh, you know, compliance with the, the baseball's labor agreement. So, and that, that's something that all front offices have. Um, I mean, let's face it, when you're in their position and you can't get the person that you want, who, uh, you know, a Sam Fold, a Brandon Gomes, uh, you know, people who turned out Kim Ang, who turned down opportunities to talk with the Red Sox, then you have to make the best of your situation. And it's also great that, you know, Breslow has uh, a past relationship with Alex Corey. He knows him. And I think Alex is going to be an asset for him in a way that maybe he wasn't able to be for Heim Bloom. Buster Olney, ESPN, MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You mentioned that Breslow's background is in pitching. We've I've read a lot about all the great work he did with the Cubs now in his previous position. And the thing that worries me, though, Buster, is kind of what you said at the beginning. I'm wondering, is he going to have the time, the requisite time that's needed to put in processes and help guys develop? I mean, what, they're going to draft some pitcher this year and Breslow's going to develop him and the kid's not going to be in the majors for four or five years. And I don't know if Breslow will ever get to see this wave of talent actually crest and get to the majors because the ownership has been so finicky. Right. Uh, and I think, the, you know, a guy who put a voice to that this year in a parallel situation was Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets who basically came out, you know, at the, in midseason when we we're all wondering, is he going to fire Buck Showalter? Is he going to fire Billy Epler in the middle of the season? And, and Cohen said, look, I don't want this organization to get a reputation as being uh, this kind of crazy place where people are fired left and right. Well, that's kind of where the Red Sox are right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, and it's earned over time, despite the fact that, you know, they've won four championships since the 2003 season. They've changed direction. Many times, and I don't think anybody, especially, you know, as John Henry gets older, I don't think anybody knows for sure what the direction of the Red Sox is going to be in three or four years. You know, is Alex Gore going to be the manager? Is Craig still going to be the, the general manager? You know, will they be able to develop pitching? Where are the other teams, the organization is going to be? Um, you know, they don't have the stability, without a doubt, that the Tampa Bay Rays do or the Yankees. Uh, you know, or, or at the moment, the Baltimore Orioles with its young group of players that they have. You know, it's interesting. I think the maybe the further removed you are from playing, maybe you get some of the playing nature kind of knocked out of you. And I think Jerry Depoto is probably with the Mariners an example of that. But what Chris Young has done with the Rangers being a relatively recently retired player, I think people are singing his praises of the analytics community, but also the ability to understand what the clubhouse dynamic is like. And I think people are hoping that Craig Breslow brings that as well. How big a deal is that is that he's a recently retired player who understands the clubhouse, the clubhouse dynamic, dynamics, maybe when to go for it at the trade deadline, et cetera. I think it's potentially a big deal. I think you have to have relationships with players and have an understanding of players. It doesn't mean you necessarily had to be an all-star or play at a high level because as you and I both have seen many times, you know, those that type of history also carries its own potential pitfalls. You know, Ted Williams is a great hitter. He was not a great manager. Yeah, yeah right. As he expected his players to understand. But I, I do think that, for example, and, and I'm just 
with the Red Sox under Heim Bloom, I don't think a former player would have allowed a situation where Xander Bogarts get offered got offered a one year extension. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think Craig Breslow would have understood, look, if you do this to him, um, you're you're gonna offend him. And you potentially and if you offend him, you're gonna potentially piss off everybody else in that clubhouse when you treat the best player that way. Um, you know, that was a, one of many mistakes that they made when it came to player relations when uh, you know, Christian Vasquez was traded, someone who had 15 years in the organization. There was nobody there to tell him. He's you know, speaking with reporters down in Houston. I, I think those are things that uh, Breslow is going to have a, greatest, uh, a better feel for, a greatest awareness of. I think it's part of the reason why Chris Young and the, you know, has been successful with the Rangers because he understands how players feel uh, you know, when they're playing well and, and when they're playing poorly and how they're communicated with. Buster, I want to get to the World Series here in a second, but one question on our Red Sox rival. I read the report yesterday that the Yankees have had exploratory conversations with the Padres around Juan Soto. We know nothing can happen, you know, until after the World Series ends here, but do you see the Yankees as a match for Soto or is this just due diligence on their part? No, I think they absolutely could be a match. Uh, you know, maybe the biggest mistake I feel like the Yankees front office made in recent years is the fact that they allowed the team to become so right-handed. And it's kind of fun as a baseball fan to think about the damage that Soto could do in Yankee Stadium. Now, we'll tell you that, you know, because, and you remember, when Soto was traded to the Padres, he really played poorly for two months. Yes. And, and uh, you know, and this year, over the course of the year, he got better gradually. And, and because of all that, there now is this perception around Soto that he is someone who, might have a period of adjustment. And in New York, a period of adjustment <laughs> may not be there because, as you know, if you're a star coming in from the outside uh, and you don't play well right off the bat, you're going to get booed, which is yeah. only going to complicate, you know, that, uh, you know, that adjustment. We've seen it with uh, Jason Jambi. We saw it with Alex Rodriguez. We saw it with Joey Gallo, who never recovered. Uh, I would say this. The Padres potentially are a motivated seller uh, in terms of dealing Soto, because the, uh, reportedly they're going to take their payroll down to close to $200 million, which means a lot of really hard decisions, and at the top of that list would be trading Soto. Buster, what's a better scenario for baseball? All the the teams that are still in it until the last week of the season like we had this year, but with that comes the risk of an 84-win Diamondbacks team getting to the World Series, or less playoff teams everything wrapped up by Labor Day, but a better or, quote, more worthy champion? What's the better situation for baseball? I think for a sport where you're playing 162 games, you have to give uh, and does not have a salary. I think to give small market teams hope uh, because if you don't have that, if we were to go back to the way it was in 1968 before that, you had one National League champion and one American League champion most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it would be teams with the biggest payroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other day, uh, after Justin, uh, the Astros were knocked out, I was in the Astros clubhouse, and Justin Verlander was talking about how different the sport is uh, than other major sports. And he talked about how in the NBA and the NFL, it does feel like that the, the best talent rises to the top. Well, in baseball, it's got a long history of teams that kind of come from nowhere, uh, you know, get hot at the right time, as he said. Maybe you get a couple starting pitchers that are hot, and then you put yourself in position to win. 
Um, you know, the just in recent years, the Phillies making the World Series last year, uh, you know, 2021, the, the Braves, 88 wins in the regular season, but they got hot in the postseason. They went 2019, the Nationals, one of the worst teams in baseball early in the year. They made a couple of big trades. They upgraded their bullpen, and they wind up winning the World Series. Uh, you know, the team I grew up rooting for as a kid, the 88 Dodgers. Uh, they were not close to being the best team during the regular season, but they won the World Series. I think that's part of the baseball tradition. I think baseball, you know, the closest sport that uh, baseball is to in that regard is not necessarily, you know, the NFL, the NBA. It's the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. where you are going to see, you know, an 11 seed, a 9 seed, an 8 seed go in there and suddenly buy for the championship. And I think it's actually part of the charm of the of, uh in part of the charm of baseball, although I don't know if Fox executives would agree, <laughs> on the eve of World Series, it's not going to get good ratings. Buster, real quick, your prediction on the series is what? I would say the Rangers lineup oh is. Oh my God! I would say the Rangers lineup is too good, but I thought the Phillies lineup was too good too. Oh my God! And I just feel like you know you're just asking me to be wrong one more time because I picked the Padres, as you know, before the season started. As the playoffs started, at the Phillies playing the Astros. You know, those were both knocked out. And so now if I sit here, I just don't see the Diamondbacks being able to beat the Rangers because of depth in the lineup. But you know what? The Diamondbacks knocked out the Brewers. They knocked out the Dodgers. They knocked out the Phillies. And they certainly, it seems like, have an excellent chance of knocking out the Rangers. But I'm picking the Rangers in six. So Rangers in six is Buster's prediction. That means it'll be Diamondbacks in seven. And Buster, we we appreciate you. We'll catch up in seven days. Travel safe, and we'll talk soon. Man, you just put me on a (laughs) tee and and crush me. (laughs) Uh, Well, hey, at least your Vikings got to win. Oh, and they're getting better. They're getting better. I'm I'm full of hope, and uh, (laughs) we'll eventually have the – the football pulled out before I am able to kick it. Buster, stay warm. Thanks, Brady. <laughs> Zero degrees in Bozeman, Montana, which is where Buster is living these days. Zero degrees. Danny, it was almost 70 today. 70. It's zero where Buster's at. Perhaps Buster wants to come back to the farm. What is that about? Look, like, I like, I've always said this. I, I do not mind cold weather at all, actually. I just like the seasons to be the seasons. That's it. I like the seasons to be the seasons. Now, I mean, I'm happier that it was almost 70 today, right, because I can play a little more golf for a couple of extra days or whatever. But by and large, I don't love 70 at the end of October either. But, like, I just want – and, you know, I know the climate change people that know way more than me and all that will come out and talk about why this happens. But, like, I just miss how it was when I was a kid, right? Like, spring was 50. And summer was 80 or 85 and fall was 50 again. And winter is 20. Like I, I'm fine with the temperatures. I'm fine with 95 as long as it's in the middle of July. I don't need 95 in May. I don't need 95 in October. I'm fine with zero as long as it's in the middle of January and not in the middle of October or in the middle of March or uh, middle of April. I just want the seasons to be the seasons, but I have no problem with cold weather, but zero on October 26th. Is a little too early for me. Everyone wants to know about our cake. Um, it is a marshmallow cookie dough cake. That's what kind of cake it is. Absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. The crew at the Legion just messaged us, Danny, and said, that cake sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does sound pretty good. And maybe if you're lucky and play your cards right, we'll bring it over. But 
we do have our Thursday night dinner, by the way, today with the Legion crew. So, Danny, I know uh, we're we're eating uh, chicken Alfredo today. So maybe we'll bring the maybe we'll bring the Legion crew some cake. Tammy and everyone over there at the Legion, right across the street from us. Um, a lot of good stuff from Buster. A lot of good stuff to digest there on Craig Breslow. Things about the Red Sox and their hiring practices, etc. Um, Danny's cutting up, or will be cutting up some of the Breslow stuff. So let me just kind of talk about the playoff thing for a minute, right? This is something that everybody's up in arms about. This is the trade-off, okay? This is the trade-off. We all like, and I was never a let everybody in the playoffs guy, right? Like, I don't enjoy the NHL playoffs, and I don't enjoy the first round of the NBA playoffs either because it just feels like, and I know Miami did it last year, but – it just feels like everybody gets in your leagues, gets in your playoffs, and the regular season is cheapened, right? So I'm not a huge fan of half your league getting in the playoffs. Baseball has been moving in that direction, and I haven't loved it. That said, I do love, a couple of years into this setup, I do love that so much is undecided in the last weeks of the season, right? As a Mariners fan, I came down to the to game 161 the last three years, right? Two years the Mariners didn't make it, one year they did, but... The season was relevant for me every day of the season, practically. Every day of the season, practically, the season was relevant. I enjoyed that. Why is that possible? Extra wild card team, right? Your team not being buried on July 4th is a good thing. It's a good thing for baseball. It's a good thing for the teams, and it's a good thing for you, the fans, to know that you can pull yourself up and to know that your season is not over on Memorial Day. But when you have that, the trade-off is that you can see a team that barely snuck in get on a run and get hot, like the Diamondbacks have. So would I prefer that the Atlanta Braves were in the World Series instead of the Diamondbacks? Yes, they had a historically good regular season with a historically good player in Ronald Acuna Jr. Would I prefer the Dodgers were in it? Sure. Would I have liked to see the 101-win Orioles in it? Sure, I would. But the trade-off for having an exciting regular season all the way through is that your playoffs can have some wacky things. And we don't usually see that in the NFL, right? Like the top seeds oftentimes get to the Super Bowl. In the NBA, we did see it last year with the eighth seed Miami getting to the finals. But by and large, your top two seeds are getting to the NBA finals. The NHL is, has always been wacky, right? We've seen eight seeds win the Stanley Cup before. So the, the NHL is more akin to what we're seeing right now in baseball. It just is what it is, right? And Buster's right about the NCAA tournament. You're going to see an 11 seed in there once in a while, right? A lot of times you'll see Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina or whoever's on the top line. But sometimes you'll see a George Mason or a Wichita State or a VCU or whoever, right? Or a, a St. Peter's getting to the Elite Eight. It's what happens. It's why we love sports. Underdogs are underdogs can be fun. I do. I would. You know. I don't love the 84 win Diamondbacks in, but that's the trade off for having an exciting regular season all the way through. This is the trade off. If you want to only allow division winners in, or only allow division winners in one wild card in, like we used to, only allow four teams in the playoffs. You know what? The playoffs wouldn't be cheapened. You'd have the best teams. You'd get the best champion. That would be great. But you know what it would mean? It would mean that half the half the teams are selling at the trade deadline. Half the teams will become irrelevant at the trade deadline. And a bunch of teams would have their seasons over effectively on June 1st. 
certainly by July 1st. And that isn't that fun. Trust me, as a fan of the Mariners, I've been there a lot of my life where your season is over, and it's over early, and you're just waiting, waiting, waiting for football to come. I do prefer what we have now where the, where, where you have more fun for longer as a fan. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM at WDEVradio.com. We'll get to some of Buster's takeaway on, takeaways on Craig Breslow. We will do that uh, soon after we cut up the interview. But something that Dan Orlovsky said about Mac Jones, raise some eyebrows today. Are those eyebrows fair? We'll discuss it next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM at WDEVradio.com. Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, really universally liked analysts, raised some eyebrows today, well, yesterday, I guess. So, Danny, he was on WEI in Boston with the uh, Jones and Mago show, and he said this. Danny, I want you to play Dan Orlovsky number one, and I want you to tell me if you can figure out kind of where the thing that raised eyebrows was. I still don't like Mac's feet. Uh, I text Mac that almost every week. Like uh, your feet still like you, you, we gotta, he's got to get better at that. Even the game when he touched down, he's falling away. So directly to the performance, I, again, I'm, I, I still believe Mac Jones. And, but that would be the one thing that just because you win, you can't avoid looking at. Do you see the comment in there? Do you hear the comment there that raises eyebrows? Just that he's contacting Mac in general? Is that what people are mad about? That's what Jones of Jones and Mago was rankled by, that that he found it interesting that Dan Orlovsky, who is an NFL insider, an NFL analyst, is texting Mac Jones about his play. And then I saw other people say, well, that – tells us the story because Orlovsky's always been high on Mac, right? He's always been high on Mac. He's always been complimentary of Mac. And now people are saying, oh, now I get it. Him and Mac are buddies. Him and Mac are friends. He texts Mac. They have a relationship. Well, now I get why he feels the way he does. And now basically or anything Orlovsky says about Mac, they're good. they look at it like, okay, they're just friends. He's just protecting his pal. Do you think that's a problem, Danny, that Orlovsky and Mac have a relationship? No, I don't think player and former player having any kind of relationship is that big a deal, honestly. I don't think it's a big deal either. And frankly, look, the media and and player world has become so blended, right? Because there's so many former players in the media. There's so many former executives in the media, so many former coaches in the media. Guys are going to have relationships, right? That's just the way it is. Guys are going to have relationships. Guys are going to have sources. Guys are going to have insight. I do think, though, it would have been important to know that, like, all along, that Mac had a relationship with with Orlovsky or vice versa. Because I do think it's fair for people to know, like, okay, so Mac has an opinion of or, – or Orlovsky has an opinion of Mac that is shaped now because of their friendship. Is he truly able to be critical? Is he truly able to be honest? Or is he always going to skew on the side of protecting his friend or because he likes him, right? And I think about, like, I don't have a perfect example off the top of my head. Um, 
like, okay, let's just, even though I don't like him, like Urban Meyer, I would have to think, is always going to lean Ohio State. But it's very, very obvious why, right? Like it's very, very overtly obvious to us that he worked at Ohio State, he's from Ohio, he coached at Ohio State, he's probably going to pick Ohio State in games out of biases, he's probably going to talk well about his his former players at Ohio State. Like, it's very well known to us that that is a thing. This should be made the same way, right? This There should be some publicity around this as well. If Orlovsky said at the beginning of the season, hey, I worked out with Mac this offseason, so I get that I'm a little closer to this situation than all of you, but... You know, when I worked out with him, this is what I saw. I wouldn't raise any red flags about it. But the fact that it's kind of been hidden from us, it does, it does change things for me a little bit. I'm not certainly not mad about it. And I don't find it weird that they have a relationship. I just now have to go back and listen to things Orlovsky said with, about Mac with a different frame of mind. Okay. They're friends. They have a relationship. I mean, I, I'm trying to think like, if there's somebody like that for me, there, you know, I'm not at that level to have those kind of relationships, but I'm trying to think like if there was someone like we talked to Cam Ellsworth in Norwich every week. Right. And, and I'm not doing it this year because I'm not on the midday news service on, on Thursdays anymore. But like I had developed a relationship with Cam over three years where I could probably sit here and say, like, hey, I talk to Cam every week. I like him. I've gotten to know him. Uh, you know, he I, I think this about him. Right. It's known that we have a pre a pre known relationship. We didn't have that from Orlovsky. So. Is it bad? No, but does it kind of reframe how I feel about his previous comments about Mac? Yeah, probably. Right? Like, he's gone to bat for Mac. He's talked good about Mac. Well, now I know why. They're buddies, and they have a relationship, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just wish I had known. But the media athlete world has become so blended now, it's become, you know, impossible to navigate. It's become impossible to navigate. Texter says, Brady, you sound like an old man with this take. How, how do I sound like an old man with this take? I mean, really, like, I don't care if Mac Jones and Dan Orlovsky are friends. I don't care if they talk every day. I don't care if Mac Jones texts Dan Orlovsky and says. Boomer Brady. And, and yeah, I don't think so. I don't disagree with that. Like, if Orlo- if Mac texts Orlovsky and says, hey, what would you think of my tape? Or Orlovsky texts Mac and says, hey, I watched your tape and I noticed that you're doing this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have absolutely zero problem with that. I just would have liked to know in the past that when Orlovsky tells me that Mac is better than I think he is, that he's coming at it from an angle of, hey, I have a relationship with Mac, he's my friend, and I'm here to defend him. I think that's fair. I think that's fair all across the board. But it was public criticism of it his was, footwork. You're right. It was public criticism. So he there he did show the ability to be honest, and that's important. And I like Orlovsky a lot. And I think it's fair that he talks about his feet also. And it's interesting because Mac's Footwork has been a subject of discussion here in the last couple of weeks, but remember when we had this stuff about Cam? Like, Cam had bad footwork his last year. Well, the one year he was in New England. Throwing off his back foot, throwing with one foot open, dropping his arm angle, couldn't get his back foot into it, couldn't get his shoulder into it because we thought his shoulder would be injured, etc. That's kind of become Mac. I don't know if it's because he's lazy with it. I don't know if it's because he's pulling off early because he thinks the pressure's coming when it's not. But his footwork, he has not driven the ball in the way that he um, – he has not driven the ball in the way that uh, that he had in the past. Tech says um, 
Think about what you're saying. I don't care that they're friends, but the fact that I don't know is weird. Let me. What is the biggest concern about anybody in the media? Any former player in the media, what is the biggest concern? Are they going to be able to talk candidly about guys they just played against? I once interviewed Lou Merloni about this same topic, and he said, when I first got into media, it was hard, right? Like, I knew guys, I liked guys, I had played with guys, I had played against guys. It was hard for me to be honest about my friends. That was a real concern that he had. That is a real concern that people have. Tom Brady's about to get hired, supposedly, or already has been hired, and is supposedly next year going to work at Fox. And people are already wondering, can Brady go and talk honestly about quarterback play, or is he always going to just defer to supporting the quarterback? Networks are asking this question. Fans are asking this question. This is the same thing that I am saying about Orlovsky. Is he able to look at Mac objectively, or is he not because they have a relationship? I do not think that makes me old, or that does not make me cynical. I think that's fair, right? I think that is fair to note. We hear that all the time. When athletes get into media, the biggest question is, can you talk badly about your friends? Devin McCourty, you are now in the media. Are you willing to talk bad about Bill Belichick when it's going bad, or are you always going to defer to him being your guy? Right? Like, we just want to know. I know you played for Bill Belichick. I know you're probably going to support him. But just tell me, like, hey, Bill's my guy. I played for him. I won X amount of Super Bowls with him. I can't sit here and say this is his fault. Okay, you're biased, and that's okay. We all have our biases. We all have our biases in some way. Just be upfront about them, right? And I don't expect Olavsky to go through his entire Rolodex and tell us everybody that he's friends with, but we're eight weeks into the season and we're three weeks into Mac's career. I haven't heard him once say that him and Mac, Mac are on an every week texting basis. That's all. So I got three years worth of Orlovsky supporting Mac. Well, now I know why. They're pals. It's okay. Nothing wrong with it. Just tell me that you're pals. So, I, Danny, am I missing the point here? No, I, he just did t- say they're friends. I mean, maybe it was a little late for you, but. Right. He, we're, we're three Full years disclosure, the, he, he says he texts him regularly. Yes, but, you know, I just, like, when guys get into, when former players get into broadcasting, that is the first question, is it not? Can they honestly open and honestly discuss the guys in the league? This is the same thing that I'm doing, right? This is not a. This is not just me pulling out criticism. Text says, Rodney Harrison has been critical of Bill. He's in the media. That's great. So then Rodney Harrison is doing the job the way it's supposed to be done. That's fine. Like, <laughs> question asked and answered. Text says, um, I missed the first 10 minutes of the show. Derek White was awesome last night. There you go. Okay. That, uh, Derek White was good defensively. Well, he only had nine points or so, Danny, but he had a really big two. He's always impactful in other yeah, ways. Had a really big two in which he kind of like gave like an old man hesitation, like up and under from in the post, turned into a big layup. It was a beautiful move by Derek White. We told you where he was going to be more impactful. Um, no, he was going to be impactful in that way that not Great block on Randall, too. You love his blocking ability. It's he amazing. He's one of the top. He's the best blocker in the league for his size. That's. That's a stat. That's not just opinion. 
he's long too. For being as short, you know, he's only six four or whatever, but he's long. He's got long arms. His so. wingspan's like six nine. Yeah, there you go. So, all right, eight zero two five eight five thirty twenty six. We'll come and wrap up the show. A little bit of uh, what Buster had to say about the Red Sox hiring Craig Breslow. We'll get to that next on DEB. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM WDEV radio.com. Danny, in my, in that commercial break, I just got like the 74th call from Oswego State University in the last two weeks trying to get me to donate money. When are you going to learn I'm on the air? I'm not answering between four and seven like you want me to. It's not going to happen. And you know what? I've given money to Oswego a bunch since I graduated. I ain't doing it this time, so stop calling me. How about that? Stop calling me, please. Nice of you to give my... money in general. Huh? Nice of you to even give money at all. I love my college. I've given money. It's not a lot that they ask for. They always ask for it in honor of my graduating year. So they always ask for $20.12. It ain't the end of the world, but it also ain't going to save the entire school if I don't give it or if I do give it or whatever. I've given it $20.12 multiple times. I upped it to $25 one year. I upped it to $40 one year. I've given, I've done my part. Okay? I've done my part. You don't need my money yet this year. Stop calling me while I'm on the air. Good idea from Jack there. Did you see? No. What do you have to say? Someone give us, we go the text line number. Well, give it, Danny, next time you can answer us, we go. You can give them the text line number and they can ask, they could send us a direct link to donate when we want to at our own convenience. Well, when I want to at my own convenience. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have Johnson State University or NVU Johnson or VSU Johnson or whatever they're calling themselves now, I'm going to have them call you during the show every day and annoy you like I'm getting annoyed. Oh, I'm not giving them money. Not yet. You, well, that's true. You're, you're, you haven't been out long enough to be giving the money yet. You have to establish yourself first. Still paying off loans. Come on. I wanted to talk about Breslow and Buster. I'm going to have to do that tomorrow because um, we'll have three minutes left. And I hate getting into something when I – I hate getting into something when I can't really sink my teeth into it. We Buster was on. We talked about the Red Sox hiring Craig Breslow. That interview is available shortly or will be available shortly on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Buster likes to hire is the long and short of it, but acknowledges he wasn't their top choice, right? Like he wasn't their top choice. So recognize that the Red Sox inability to steadily um, keep someone in this position impacted their ability to hire someone. Uh, Danny, there's a lot to watch tonight. No baseball tonight, but Thursday night football, Bills and Bucks. That one actually might be kind of good, so I'm going to watch some of that. NBA games tonight. We got the Sixers taking on uh, Milwaukee. I'll be interested in seeing Giannis and company against Embiid. I don't think have we got a report on Harden yet whether he's going to play in this game. He showed up, but does that? It he's sitting out, isn't he? I'm sure he is, but he's I holding had, out till he gets I haven't traded. Seen that a thousand percent officially, so. Want to watch some of the NBA? I'm also carving pumpkins tonight. Uh, I'm not very artistic, but carving pumpkins is something I can actually do. I'm trying a. Can you carve a Seahawk? No, but I am trying something new. I'm going to try to etch the pumpkin this year. I've never etched a pumpkin before. Have you ever etched a pumpkin, Danny? No. Do you know what etching a pumpkin is? Different than carving? Not exactly. So carving is when. It goes all the way through the pumpkin, right? Like there's actual holes in the pumpkin. Like you could, you know, put your fingers through or put in a utensil through or whatever, right? You've actually carved out the entirety of the pumpkin. Etching is when you basically just like scrape the top layer off the pumpkin, 
so it's not actually carved all the way through. You can do a lot more cool and intricate things when you when you etch a pumpkin um, than when you actually carve it. Carving it is a carving it is they're both hard, but carving it obviously you're taking more out of the pumpkin, so there's you kind of have less space to work. You need more fine tools to etch, but you're basically just scraping off the top layer, and nothing is actually going through the pumpkin. We're gonna need some pictures. If I could do it, you'll get pictures. Okay. You think if you're going to ruin the first one? or I have three pumpkins, and I have one little one, which is going to be my etching practice one. If I can't do it, then I'm just going to go back to the traditional carving. But I, uh, I, I do plan on trying to etch the first one and seeing how I do. I don't know that I have the right tool. You need a wood carver, and I couldn't find one. I have kind of a wood scraper and like an exacto knife, a very fine exacto knife that allow you to kind of make some really thin lines and stuff. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to try my best. So curious to see how this goes. I'm curious to see how it goes. I have carved a perfect Snoopy and a perfect Woodstock though in the last couple of years, so I don't know what peanuts. Oh, you can carry. definitely do a Seahawk now. Eh, I don't know about that. There's a lot of lines there, Danny. There's a lot of lines. We'll see what I can do. I'll tell you how it all went tomorrow. We'll talk with Phil Perry, Pets Insider at NBC Sports Boston. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next on DEV.